From the Church of the Nazarene and Mesoamerica Genesis, you're listening to the Worthless Servants Podcast. And welcome back to the Worthless Servants Podcast. Oh, it's great to be back with you. Uh, we are in this wonderful room in Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic, and I need to introduce a few worthless servants to you. First of all, I'm Scott Armstrong, and to my left, Emily Armstrong. Hey, everyone. Across from me, Natalie Franco. Hello, guys. And to my right, Pastor Dario Richards. Hi. We are a podcast that focuses on healthy church, culture, missions, and a whole lot more. And uh, today we're going to dive in to some statistics. Now, uh, I don't want you to turn off right right, right away and say, oh no, this is the worst. No, uh, uh, stick with us. A few episodes back, we talked about uh, some statistics regarding kind of just how the Church of the Nazarene, remember we are a podcast of the Church of the Nazarene, but how globally we look, how, how some of the recent statistics even after and during COVID, uh, how there's, you know, room for optimism and also how there are some things that maybe we need to uh, look at. And uh, now we kind of want to do that because we are in the Mesoamerica region and this podcast, uh, really our focus, thank you all of those who are listening from other places around the world, but our focus is really to help the churches in our region. Mesoamerica includes from Mexico down through Panama and almost all of the Caribbean. And so with that said, I wrote an article and uh, we'll put that in the show notes, that link, just kind of highlighting seven different observations on the statistics so that you, you, oh, listener and the reader of that article would not have to dive through all of those statistics. But there were certain things that grabbed our attention. What do you guys think uh, after either reading the article or looking at some of uh, some of the reports? uh, What kind of grabs your attention and where are we as a region? I think one of the first things that you pointed out in your article, and uh, you all know that I am not a stats person, so (laughs) I usually allow Scott to distill the information for me uh, and break it down. But one of the things that he was able to draw is that Mesoamerica, which is our region, is the third largest region out of the six that we have around the world. So we have the third most population um, as Nazarenes. But as I started to think about what are the ways that we could potentially grow? Like if we don't even have the amount of people in our region that we would say, how are ways that we're able to grow? Because people just don't live here the same way that they live in Asia Pacific, that they live in Africa. There's just more people on the other side of the world than there are in our region, right? And so I started to think if we said, well, we're just content with staying the same, then, you know, you could say that, but we're constantly looking for how are the ways to grow. And I thought, well, how do you grow in a place in a region like ours where there's very few pioneer works? And I don't know if you guys know what a pioneer work is, but it's literally opening the work of the Church of the Nazarene where none exists. And I remember a couple years ago, we started to really focus on some of the Caribbean islands in our region still have zero presence of the Church of the Nazarene. And they are like large people groups that don't even have one Church of the Nazarene on the island. So I thought, well, I think that should be a focus for us. I think if I was in strategic planning, I would be looking at how do I send resources, whether it's finance or people or help create an environment where a pioneer work can be opened in these Caribbean nations. Oh, another thing that I was thinking, and you'll hear on this podcast constantly, is we just need to have a bigger city presence. Like we know that our cities are growing and that the bigger that the city gets, 
the more people there are that need to be reached with the message of holiness through the Church of the Nazarene. So if we started to have more church work that was in our cities, we would see growth, even though we're not geographically changing anything. And then the last one I thought is, I think if we had intentionality in truly thinking about what it looks like to have an immigrant church, because our region is starting to be filled with immigrants from all over the world, especially when I think about the Caribbean islands. I know that in Latin and the Central American nations that we are in Mesoamerica, that there's a ton of immigration happening from uh, South America that are going through our nations and they end up staying in our nations. Uh, From Haiti, they're constantly immigrating. Uh, We've got people all over the Caribbean islands that are immigrating from India that are immigrating from um, the even multiple nations in Europe and Africa that stay in our Caribbean nations. Um, and so I was just thinking, I think we need to be a better church that serves an immigrant church. And I think those are three ways that we can continue to grow, even though our geographical boundaries aren't changing at all. That's interesting that you say that the three, maybe some people would be listening and say, well, those three don't really have a lot to do with each other. But I think of the first one, you're, you were talking about how we have a lot of our, a lot of our people, but very few, I mean, comparatively, we have very few nations or people groups that are unreached. And even the ones for us that are unreached aren't unreached in the same sense as some of the places in Africa and Asia and and some of those places, right? They just don't have a church of the Nazarene. Right. And so I I saw it, it was many years ago, probably more than a decade now, but that really analyzed giving. And it said that giving missions giving, in fact, missions giving only like less than 2% was given to those unreached or to the pioneer areas around the world. Mm -hmm. Well, we, I think in our region will need to even be more intentional to say, well, the easy thing would just be to kind of use the funds on us, Mm -hmm. you know, and just, uh, and again, there are people that need to know the Lord in all of our countries. Of course, we need to you know, plant more churches. We need to do more things in our countries. But I think we may need to be more intentional and say, where are the places where we may not see immediate fruit, where we may not see, we may invest and it won't be just, boom, we have a ton of conversions immediately, right? right. Mm-hmm. But that we still believe in that mission and we still believe in that call. And we're going to still give and go and invest in those areas. Yeah, I think some of the, even as I was thinking about how do we continue to grow, it's like we're in the space now as Mesoamerica of it's the hard parts that are left, right? Like, let's stop grabbing at the low-hanging fruit, the easy stuff, and and like, let's really start focusing on some of the hard stuff. There's not answers for how to be a good immigrant church, you know? And even as people are like, well, I'm going to be here for two or three years, and then I move on to the next place, you know? What does church look like when people are in constant movement, constant transition? So I think things like that are things that if we can really bring into ourselves as leaders in Mesoamerica that we'll start to see numbers grow just because there's people that do need to hear the message of Jesus through a holiness church like the Church of the Nazarene. Yeah. Another thing that caught my attention, and I was like, woohoo, we need to celebrate. Because <laughs> if Chelsea was here, she would have a um, party blower see? for you. Yeah. <laughs> Chelsea, we miss you. <laughs> 
But I, I, I think we need to celebrate that, uh, like the total of Nazarenes that were received last year in Mesoamerica. Even though all the situations that we have, that we have as a, um, a region, mm. um, some of the temples were closed, and all the COVID situation, we know that um, we got more than fifty thousand new Nazarenes received. So this is something we must celebrate. I was just thinking about. Like the ways we can continue doing this, even though hard time comes later on. Um, and I was just thinking about discipleship. If we understand the essence of discipleship, which is uh, gives ourselves to others, invest ourselves to others. It doesn't matter if the temples are closed because we're going to continue uh, with this essence. We're going to continue mm -hmm. multiplying and It doesn't matter if the tr if, if the temples are closed. We're going to continue um, yeah. doing the mission, doing the work. It is pretty encouraging that literally in time of COVID, that we still saw that amount of, of people that came to know the Lord. And I mean, the idea is certainly some maybe were transfers from other other churches, but the majority were new conversions, were people that came to know the Lord in the last year. You know, and that's exciting. As I see these stacks on a regional level, it reminds me of things that happen also on a local level, where there are many local churches that would record, you know, addition of new members, but then they also report a decline in membership. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me, you know, whenever that happens on a local level, the conversation is always started about what do our disciple structures look like? Mm -hmm. And whether we are more focused on addition as opposed to multiplication. Um, because if we create discipleship structures that are more focused on multiplying, I see persons who are already in becoming a part, you know, of the of the force of the team that contributes to seeing more people come in, as opposed to these specific group of people who are sent, to add more to the church and get a more holistic approach, I think then we could see a better balance between, I mean, outside of death, you know, a better balance between not just the new members being added, but a better maintenance of those who are already mm -hmm. in. And unfortunately, as we look through the stats, you would realize that um, our youth, um, to some degree, are becomes the, the first set of victims of yeah. through the back door, you know, and and it just it just keeps me thinking about what can we do from a strategic perspective to to not just have more persons being added to celebrate, but also being able to celebrate those who are already in, mm. and we're able to see a greater level of maintenance and see them contributing to the growth of the church. So that's just something that that stood out to me because of how much it reflects the local church, you know, on a regional level. Yes. Know. I think that's important because many people would be, would possibly say, oh, well, in the last year, um, of course we received new members, but overall membership was slightly down. Well, that's because COVID, yeah. oh, it's, it's terrible. And we had lots of deaths and we have, some of those are certainly people that have, that have passed away. We understand yeah. that. But there are a lot of people that, during the last year, and I think all of our local churches have seen this, I, yeah. I, I would say, yeah. there have been some people that beforehand, we're, we're doing this. Uh, we're excited. Uh, we are Christ followers, you know? And then afterwards, it's like, no, I don't know that I'm up for this, you know? Yeah. And something, I, I think the pandemic, I'm not going to blame everything on the pandemic, but I think it did kind of turn a mirror onto uh, the church and to, and to reflect 
uh, okay, is there is there commitment? Uh, or not just is there commitment by what you're mentioning is, as churches, do we have a true discipleship? Are we just inviting people to come to services mm-hmm. and hoping yeah. that they end up following Christ with a dedicated, committed manner? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think, um, you know, even as I'm hearing you guys speak and, and have the conversation, what's running through my head is, at what point is... Nazarene membership numbers the same as Christ followers that are meeting with the Nazarene church. Because there's a lot of people that are in our Nazarene congregations that would say, I'm a part of the church of the Nazarene, but I don't agree with everything in their covenant of conduct. And I want to still do certain things, but like the Nazarene church is my church, but I'm not going to become a member of the church. And so like, I can think of a handful of people in our local church that have said that, you know, that like you're meeting my needs. I'm knowing who Christ is. I'm growing in relationship with him, but I don't want to become a Nazarene, you know? And so it makes me wonder, you know, at what point do we um, even need to, as cultural grows on and, and society continues to grow and there are more people that don't want to be associated with a denomination, but that doesn't mean they don't want to be associated with Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we deal with that type of thing, even in our culture and our society, I don't have an answer for it because I'm literally just thinking of it for the first time. But um, it's interesting me, to me to think about uh, membership numbers are different than Christ followers. And, and I think it's an important point when we think about statistics in our church that we're talking about people that have committed to be a part of the church of the Nazarene to serve Christ with the denomination. Well, and that's an issue. Mem- membership could maybe be its own episode, oh, its own episode. Yeah. but I think that's important. If membership is just, man, I mean, we really want you as part of our club. Mm -hmm. Then I don't know that I'm excited about that. I don't know that I'm just going to be like, yeah, I want to, I want to do that too. But if we start to really talk about leadership, if we start to talk about accountability and this, I believe sure in the overall denomination, but I believe in what this local congregation is doing. And, and I want to be a part of this and I want to follow Christ, but I also recognize that I can't do that outside of the church body. I cannot do that. And so I think that is important. These numbers, by the way, the global church has decided not, you know, during pandemic to not record attendance number. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure local churches are still uh, uh, recording it, but they are basically not going to, to publish that because some have not reported it and others are tried to figure out, well, what does it mean to have some online and some yeah. in person and who, what is my attendance numbers? I mean, you know, um, but so we don't have attendance numbers, but like these stats that we're talking about are actual members that have said right. no more, you know, or the church has said, well, they're not around and uh, we're going to, I mean, it sounds weird, but as pastors, we say, we're going to clean the role. Uh, we're, 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 <laughs> that is a very church yeah. word, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> clean the role. Yeah. We're going to clean up the role and just make sure, okay, well, these members that have not been here for three or four years, like they're no longer really members, right? And so uh, <laughs> that goes back to what you were saying, Dario, like, that pains my heart. Like at one point, these people had stood in front of the congregation and said, we believe in this and in you, and we know that you believe in us. And now that's not the case. What does that say about us? You know, uh, not just them. What does it say about us? Yeah, no, I think it's good. I think it's connected to what Emily was sharing as well. Uh, one of the things that I think the pandemic is going to force us to do is to rethink membership, mm. you know, to rethink not just the dynamics of 
balancing hybrid online um, persons who are of the perspective they don't want the the you know the structure accountability of the traditional church, but also membership as it relates to those people who do say yes, I do want to be a part of this, and the structures or the pathways we have open for them not just to go through converts class, you know, and mm. and read the code of covenant and we say, yeah, you're Noah a Nazarene, but then also what are the processes that we facilitate them to to really ground them in the biblical truths that we practice right. so that they move from just, you know, what can I get come and get from here right. mm-hmm. to what can I do? How do I contribute? And not just being trained in the in the in the what's the, what's the word I want to use, not being trained in the in the things of being Nazarene, mm-hmm. but but trained in the perspectives and in the heart of Jesus as well. Like, yeah. If you are a true Christ follower, this is what you would want to do. Mm-hmm. And I think just from a pastoral perspective, I think one of the ways that we have have failed is that you know, I think I always said I think the best evangelistic preachers are from the Caribbean. Like you want good preachers and people to make decisions. Come and get a Caribbean pastor. <laughs> We're so good at that. Mm. You know, getting people to the point of saying, Yes, I want to follow Jesus. And then there's some who are a bit better at taking him through the journey of converts class. And when converts class is finished, you know, you're either gonna be an usher or you know, serve on the worship team. But we have to begin rethinking from a membership perspective, you know, what's the plus one note that we need to do, hmm. just given how something like COVID has exposed in some ways how, how I guess the word will be, uh, the Christian word to use will probably be, probably be immature. Um, some mm-hmm. of our quote unquote membership, uh, even leadership in some ways has been, you know, so that we could, so that we could become more sustainable, that we would, we wouldn't keep going through this, through the front door, out the back door dynamic, but you know, more sustainability within the the, the church. Yeah. Good. You had mentioned youth very briefly, and one thing that kind of came out in this in this these statistics uh, was that we not just Nazarene Youth International, which we call in the church the Nazarene our our, our youth ministry, but also the other two key uh, ministries that we have: discipleship and missions. Membership in those three ministries actually went down, uh, and, and considerably so in, in some cases. Uh, did that hit anybody? Uh, is that alarming to, to just me? I think the reason why they didn't have a huge hit on me immediately, because how we measure um, NMI, SDMI um, membership, at least in, in how we have measured in the local churches that I've been a part of, it hasn't been so structured in the sense of, you know, we have an NMA or SDMA membership list because the SDMA and NMA is usually made up of the membership of the church. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are some churches where there is a SDMA population outside of those who actually are members of the church. So they have, you know, small groups in the community or these other initiatives happening outside where that membership count is important to communicate not just who comes to church, but, you know, the different initiatives we're having outside. Right. Um, mm. NMI at my church is the same. Like, the persons who are members of the church make up the NMI population because mm. we do our NMI services on Sunday mornings, you know, instead of a, 
a special Wednesday or Sunday night. Like it's not possible to be a member of the church and not be a and member not be involved of, of in the NMA. You know, you're right. counted as a part of this. So <laughs> that's why I didn't have an immediate jump out. The NYI is different because we had an NYI population where some attend church as members of the church, but then there were a whole set who they don't, they wouldn't come on Sunday mornings or to the other services, but because of their contribution and participation, they were considered a part of, you know, our membership. But the other two, because of how they are designed, it didn't jump out in the same way. Yeah. You know. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think what was most, um, when you say alarming, alarming to me was that you said the central field lost 50% of their youth. <laughs> and I remember reading that. And that's our field here in yes, Dominican Republic. that's where we are. Yeah. It's Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Panama, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, and Cuba. And when I thought, wow, as they were literally tallying up their numbers, 50% of the youth that were a year ago counted as a part of Nazarene Youth International in these six nations, half of them are gone. And I'm hoping some of that is just, you know, um, not counting correctly or doing paperwork wrong or something. You know, when you see that large of a discrepancy, you start to think there's maybe something that wasn't reported correctly or a number got messed up or something you would hope, you know, on the local church level. But yeah, that I, I don't have anything more to say about that than it's very alarming to think that 50%. So if we, I don't know what the number is, but if we went from a thousand to 500, that is like, okay, well, in another year, we'd be at zero. Like if we did that again, we would we would be losing the 250, like pretty quickly over five years, you could see that there's no youth involved. So like that is a trend that needs to be not just stopped, it needs to be reversed and moved in, in the complete opposite direction of where it's going. Uh, well, I can say what I've seen is the youth have been dealing with lots of things mm-hmm. this these years it's hard it's hard to be in the middle of a pandemic it's hard to be like when you need to to be with people to connect with people not to connect anxiety comes depression comes lots of things comes and family issue comes so i can i've seen this and i've seen this is a couple of the reasons why i i don't see some of the youth i've i was able to see before and also another thing that I've seen that I can say maybe it's because of that as well. It's because we we have in couple of churches unstable leaderships, mm. and like if we don't have a stable leadership, like then how are they going to stay? Yeah. How the the, yep. the youth is going to stay? If, I don't I don't even want to keep talking about that. But, <laughs> but this yeah. is what I've seen, and I, I think okay. That's probably why, like we we are able to see now those numbers, like yeah, that this yeah. way. Well, and I appreciate your perspective, Natalie, mm-hmm. because like it's easy to sit and criticize a statistic number, but to be like, hey, I'm one of those youth that's in the middle of this yeah. <laughs> struggle, you know? And like, I think we can all hear in your voice, even though we're sitting here looking at you, we can hear in your voice that it's like something that, that mm-hmm. plagues you. And I think that you are the voice of the young people of the central field right now of saying, yeah, this is, th- this is hard right now. Like this is hard right now and we need more support. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and three of us are, are pastors in this room. And, and I think during the pandemic, I'm not going to say that pa- pastors, we knew immediately, like, here's the way forward and here's what we're going to do. And at the same time, I think what you said, Natalie is important. 
you do need to have some measure of leadership in a time of pandemic. And and, and I have seen certain congregations that just still have, it's two, it's been two, more than two years and just still are kind of like, well, there's not much vision and we're not really sure. And it's almost just like, we're trying not to drown during this time instead of, we're going to find a way through this and I'm going to exactly. offer hope and I'm going to offer uh, a vision during this time of need. And, and there may be anxiety, but God is with us. And, and I think obviously there are plenty of leaders that are doing that. Praise the Lord, my goodness. Uh, but I have seen certain places where, and maybe because the same pastor is discouraged, the same pastor uh, doesn't necessarily know, or maybe is not, maybe is even questioning their call or something like that. And so, I mean, Youth don't want to be a part of just a sinking ship. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not sure where we're going. I'm not sure what we're doing. Um, but I guess I'll just keep coming. You know, that's just, that's yep. hard for, for anyone, but especially for teenagers. Mm-hmm. I think before um, moving away from the youth, one thing that I would love to say, I'm so excited to see is the missions giving that happened over the past year in Mesoamerica. We've had a goal of a million dollars for World Evangelism Fund by the year 2030. Like that's been a decadal goal. I think that's how you say it in English, decadal. Yeah. <laughs> a 10 year goal. <laughs> yeah, and just, and just to say that means every year that we would be giving a million. Right, right. And so they literally made that a 10-year goal because they knew that we would like need to step towards that. We wouldn't be able to be like from one year to the next, be like, we're giving a million dollars now. And so um, to see that the a million dollars almost in missions giving, including World Evangelism Fund and other approved specials that were given from our churches, from our local churches in our region, but almost $670,000 was World Evangelism fund and we're only in 2022. Like it makes me think that's a 2030 goal. I think we should move back to 2025. Let's give a million dollars to World Evangelism Fund by 2025. I think we can do it. And it's exciting to see how God is continuing to bless the church of the Nazarene and that the church of the Nazarene is continuing to be faithful to missions giving. Yeah, the faithfulness and generosity. Mm. Unbelievable. Uh, praise the Lord. <laughs> this has been a tough year and a tough two years. And to see that number, I just was like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> like, is <laughs> yeah. that is, is that the right? real number? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Nazarenes have been faithful as they've been giving. Yeah, I, I think I, I could comment on this again from the local comparison. Um, one of the things that I was surprised of in my local church is that the giving never went down. Yeah. So so I was aware that there were some churches that were struggling financially where the district had to step in. But then I found, you know, like I saw the generosity and the commitment of people to give, mm-hmm. especially when everything shut down. And there were some people who say, you know, we're going to pay through the bank. And other people were like, no, we don't have any bank. I'm going to put my money in the mailbox and somebody could drive and collect it. And at no point in time as a local pastor did my treasurer come to me and say, um, you know, we're we're in the you know, we're gonna struggle this month, wow. we aren't gonna be able to pay this or pay that. At no point, you know, the giving was consistent. And and I keep making reference to the local because I keep seeing these reflections originally, you know. Um, where it seemed like in the you know, is it people love giving in crisis, you know, mm. like, like they see there's a deeper emotional connection with meeting needs when we are, you know, I, I have a friend who always say, uh, 
humans bond more in their wounds than in their success. Mm. You know, when we when we hurt and we are in pain and in crisis together, it's a it's a better driver, you know, to give not just of our time but of our talents and you know volunteering, etc. So. I just saw the reflection of that on a bigger scale where despite all that people are going through that they were still faithful in their giving. Yeah. yeah. And that's such a Nazarene characteristic. Yeah, right. Like is. I think out yeah. of all the things that COVID <laughs> revealed that were like, Ooh, I hate that it revealed that. I love that it revealed yeah. that Nazarenes are generous. Yeah. Like all over the world, Nazarenes are generous and it is a part of being a Nazarene. I love yeah. that. Well, we would love to hear from you, listener. What are your observations? What do you think about some of the topics that we raised? And if they want to do that, Emily, where can they find us? You can find us on our Facebook page, The Worthless Servants Podcast. You can also find more of these episodes on mesoamericagenesis.org. Awesome. Well, we are The Worthless Servants, and I'm Scott Armstrong. I'm Dario Richards. I'm Natalie Franco. And I'm Emily Armstrong. And we'll talk with you next time. For more information, visit us on Facebook or at mesoamericagenesis.org.